founder of Scout RFP, had big success selling his first company to LinkedIn, sorry, to a Living Social in the tens of millions of dollars, then took a few of those co-founders, relaunched, uh, or sorry, launched a new product called Scout RFP, uh, doing well. They're up to 50 people launched back in 2013. They've raised $27 million, again, to make the RFP process more streamlined. That's kind of their core product. They have many other things they do. They're currently serving 90 businesses, about 3,000 users across those businesses that pay, you know, around five grand per year uh, for access to their tool set. Again, growing super fast, based mainly in San Francisco with 17% year-over-year revenue growth kind of per account. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data uh, metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Hello, everyone. This is episode 783. Coming up tomorrow morning, I talk to Joe Zhao. And if you're wondering how all these founders are doing initial coin offerings in the crypto world and then actually turning that money into real capital, Joe did it with his company First Blood. He raised $5 million in his ICO and then converted 80% of his ICO into fiat currency that he literally put into his bank, BB&T bank account. That's like, you know, United States dollars. He took 80% and liquefied it, so or liquidated it. So he's got $4 million bucks down his bank account. If you want to understand how technically he did that, tune in tomorrow morning. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Alex Yakubovich. She's the co-founder and CEO of Scout RFP. Prior to Scout, he was the co-founder of another startup, which was acquired by Living Social in 2012. At that company, he led the operations team and helped the company become one of the largest online ordering providers in the country. He attended Case Western Reserve University, where he studied mechanical engineering. Alex, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. All right, good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So tell us what Scout RFP does and what's your business model? How do you make money? Yeah, uh, so we ensure uh, when large companies make purchases, uh, we're the software that helps them do that. So um, that's why it's called Scout. We help companies find uh, great suppliers and, and get the best deals. Um, yeah. And so tell us an example of, you know, a customer recently that paid you. Yeah, so uh, let's see, uh, one of our newest customers is Beam Simtori. So like the, the company that makes Jim Beam brands. Um, What's it called again? Jim, like Jim Beam. Oh, Jim Beam, okay. Yeah, Centauri Whiskey, so Jim it, Beam Centauri, Jim Beam brands. Yep, yep. Okay, good, um, and, and how'd they use you? Oh, yeah, so uh, like they run a lot, of, a lot of requests for proposals. Uh, obviously, Jim Beam, across all of their portfolio of liquor brands, um, they, they make F and Vodka and uh, Maker's Mark and a lot of other alcohols that you would buy and, and probably find in your cupboards at home. Um, well, all of that, all of the bottles, all of the labels, all of the, um, obviously, they have to go out and source a lot of things through procurement. And so they, they use Scout to go out and 
and and find the best deals on on everything from marketing to uh, and and things that they buy for marketing to uh, the the actual hard goods that go into the products. And talk money to me. That's the best part. How do you make money? Yeah, so uh, very, very uh, classic SaaS model. So um, we make money on a per user basis, and we just charge for the the users that a lot of people touch Scout. So um, when somebody sends out a request for proposal or goes out to suppliers to to get a tender offer in, um, basically it touches suppliers, it touches the, the buyers internally, the purchasing group and inside the organization, our customers, um, and then it touches a lot of stakeholders internally. Um, but we only charge for the the Buyers, the, the the individuals within the organization that are actually running the bids, um, and it's a per subscriber basis, so per user per month, um, and then it's per uh, and then we we have a number of different uh, capabilities within Scout. So we do things like reverse auctions. Uh, we have a uh, uh, like strategic sourcing planning tool, like a project portfolio management tool. So depending on what capabilities they need. Um, and then we have service options. So basically, it's a it's a custom package, but it's just based on on the SKUs that you need. Okay, there's a lot of complexity there. So just to simplify it for the rest of the interview, um, not not what does the average company pay because that that's hard because it would depend on team size and other things. But if we right. normalize around like average per seat, I mean, are we talking five bucks or five hundred bucks? What's an average? Uh, no, our I would say our our average users are paying somewhere around five thousand dollars per year. Okay, per per seat. Yeah, got it. Got it. So, so you said five grand per year, or that would come out what someone something like four hundred and ten, four hundred and seventeen bucks per month, something like that. Yep. Are they all annual contracts though? All annual. Got it. So good. So you don't really have a cash gap problem. Uh, no. Okay. Did you guys raise capital, or are you bootstrapped? We did. We raised capital. Uh, Google Ventures, New Enterprise Associates, and most recently Menlo. And how much have you raised? Uh, 27.5 today. And what is the, like, uh, was there, was there, besides just the TechCrunch headline that you raised capital strategically, like, did, do you have a background kind of where you bootstrapped a company and you didn't like it? So you wanted to raise this time around or tell us more about your story and how your story led you to decide to do financing. Yeah. Great question. So our, as you, you may have seen, our last company did, uh, we, we did mostly bootstrapping. We only raised half a million dollars. Oh, wow. Oh, good. No, I just said, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, and we actually never even spent all of it. Uh, we built that company out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and it was, a, it was a great experience. We, like, it, it, the company grew quickly. Um, but there were definitely things that we, we were curious about in terms of running a venture-backed company, um, one of which was, like, it, what, how creative would it be to have, like, a great partner, um, like a Google or a New Enterprise Associates or a Menlo Ventures uh, involved in your company as far as, like, helping to guide you and, and showed you uh, things that their other companies have done before. Mm-hmm. And then the other question was, of course, like if, if you had a lot more money and you didn't have the constraints of capital, what what could you do with that? And so it's uh, it was less about, um, it, yeah, I mean, we, we really just wanted to answer those questions. And so, so what, what have you done with the money? Oh, uh, so yeah, the, basically the what, what having capital on hand lets you do is it allows you to uh, not skim on um, on areas and, and really invest for growth up front and and that's what we did so we we've invested up front in terms of product uh, helping to build out our engineering team what's your um, team size today 50 people and how much or how many are uh, engineers 
Oh, um, well, in the beginning, it was, I mean, we, we were very engineering heavy. Uh, now we're, we're about 50-50, I would say, between product, not just engineers, but like all of our product group and then our go-to-market side, so sales, marketing, et cetera. And you're all based in San Francisco? We are um, most of it, most of the companies in San Francisco. We have some folks out of on the East Coast that they handle support and things like that, and then some team members in Europe as well. And then, so going back to kind of more your backstory, so your first company basically bootstrapped and sold it to Living Social. What year was that in? Twenty twelve. Okay, and what was the exit price on that? Um, it was in the tens of millions. It's okay. Confidential, so, yeah. What was the, so, uh, the reason I like to ask questions like that is because every entrepreneur, when they go into a new venture, they have kind of a different mindset. Some people, they have to make it work because they're using all their capital on it and others, which is very interesting. There's two sides of the spectrum. They've actually de-risked it so much, which allows them to take more risk. Like they know they're making 10 grand per month on their passive real estate investment. So they can risk it all in the startup. Where was your mind? I mean, did you, did you make enough money on that egg? It where you basically have a bunch stashed away and you care about what happens at Scout RFP, but you're not going to end up on the street if it fails. Uh... Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I think we thought about it less in terms of like money in the bank. I mean, that, that part is, is nice to have, but I think more of it for us was, especially since we didn't have a venture back startup before, um, this scout is really more about uh, like, can we can we do it again and better? Like, have, what have we learned and how can we apply it? Um, so, I mean, we really don't think about it in terms of like the financial part of it. And you I keep mean, using the word we, it is the same co-founders? Uh, yeah, last time it was, uh, two, two out of the three co-founders. Very cool. And what year was that? What year did you launch the company in? Uh, 20, well, technically 2013. Um, and then Stan and I were still at Lemmy Social for a little while, while two of the other co-founders. So we have, we have two new co-founders in this company. Uh, there's four of us total. Uh, they launched it and then Stan and I joined in 20. At the end of 2014. You survive the excruciating shove an entrepreneur in a big company because they have to get the earnout period, huh? <laughs> we did. We, did. We, we had a we had a good experience at Living Social. That's um, good. And, and uh, Tim O'Shaughnessy, who's the CEO there, uh, at the time he he's an investor in Scout as well. So really, really have uh, good memories of Living Social. And so fast forward us to today. How many? Well, I guess whatever you care about more. How many individual users do you have using your platform? Or if you care more about the number of companies, how many companies do you have using your platform? Uh, we have 90, um, well, we, using the platform, um, I would say it's companies using the platform for us. That, that's really the, the big thing that we care about. Um, yeah. And, and we're, in terms of like companies using the platform, we're like well over a hundred and okay. then, um, it's like 90s, like high nineties in the paying customers. Okay. Got it. And then like you obviously give the example of Jim Beam, but on average, how many users per, like, do you sign up for each of these companies? It really just depends on the company and, and that does. So there's, there's a number of ways that we could track usage. One is number of users that they have. And the other one is just how many like projects they run through the tool. Yep. So we have uh, one customer who, um, like Scholastic, Clifford, the big red dog, the, the book publishing <laughs> company. Um, they have one user, but they publish a lot of projects and they're very efficient. Um, and then we have other users that publish much bigger projects and they only publish a few projects a year, but their savings are in the millions of dollars. So it's like, it, it really varies. So throw, throw out the 90 company number. How, like how many users do you have on the thing? Like, is it 500? 
Well, yeah, so this this gets into, like, once you get into the users, um, there's there's paid users and then there's users overall. We have we have tens of thousands of users overall. Okay. Um, like, including suppliers and uh, stakeholders and, and, like, just overall administrators and, and everybody else. It's like, it, it quickly grows into the tens of thousands, and, and we have really quick adoption on that right from the start. Um, and then, like, paid user, paid, like, number of licenses and seats and things like that, it's in the thousands. Okay, got it. So could we say, like between a thousand and three thousand something like that uh yeah it's a little higher than that but okay yeah. great great so we'll say more more than three thousand there so t take me into more of like uh, you know people do all kinds of things for customer acquisition i imagine because you've raised so much capital like when the vc goes okay what are you gonna use this money on you have a good answer for how to acquire new customers uh, ignore all the conventional stuff so you might spend some on facebook ads and google ads tell me the weirdest thing i mean the weirdest thing you've done to acquire customers um, you know, I, weirdest thing. Wow. Um, we, we are part of this group called the, I, I wouldn't call it like weird, but, it, but this has been like super effective and, and not something that you would normally go into. Um, but we, uh, we're part of this group called the Silicon Valley sourcing leaders. Okay. And it's a, it, it's something that we help with our, like to organize, but where we like really just help as, as organizers of it. Um, but it's really, it's like most, most trade shows are for uh, people to come together and there's like a lot of educational things and they're like heavy trade shows. Silicon Valley Sourcing Leaders is all about networking. It's all about drinking with other people in the industry and just sharing information and, and maybe like a little bit of, of knowledge, uh, like program knowledge. And so that, that has been just an incredible program for us to be part of. Uh, so Silicon Valley sourcing soon, Silicon Valley sourcing leaders, and now there's so, like sourcing leaders programs in New York and Chicago and other. Are places. you are you the thought leader though behind each of these? Like, is it driving customer growth for you? Oh, it well, being part of it has definitely helped us to to get customers, just because a lot of our customers go to it and then they talk to one another as a part of the thing. Um, I, I we're not the the founders of the the, uh, the sourcing leaders programs are in each city are the actual companies in the cities. Um, we're uh, rather than thought leader, I'd say like more think organizers. Like we help to coordinate, organize, like make sure there's a venue, make sure there's a speaker, that kind of thing. Are there hard costs for you, like paying for the venue, or is this basically free except? your time actually uh the the organizations with so like one at beam centauri there's there's one in chicago um the last one that was here was that uh there was service now there was splunk um so like the the organizations themselves posted at their companies oh i um, see we do, we do of course donate a lot of our time um and we do sometimes help out with the liquor bill yeah <laughs> that's good hopefully it's all jim beam liquor <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we really try to support our customers uh, where we can. We're lucky to have uh, customers like Jim Beam. So, um, Smuckers <laughs> Foods that can, can help with that. That's good. Smuckers is good too. Yeah. So, you have these, you, you have this unique kind of customer acquisition channel. I imagine you're doing a lot of the typical stuff too, but none of that obviously matters if churn's like crazy high. What are you guys at in terms of gross customer churn monthly or, um, an, or annually, whatever you'd measure? Well, net negative, um, we have, of course, a little bit of churn just in, in like that many customers, but it's not. Um, we have just a little bit of logo churn or, or like gross, like dollar yeah. What's a little bit of logo churn? Like, are you talking ten percent per month? Or, I mean, per year? Uh, you, I, mm, don't no. make it up if you if you don't know. Okay. I, yeah, it's not it's not that high though. 
like not even on a logo basis. Yeah. Okay. Now, now the number you like, obviously, which we all care about is, especially with a seat model is net negative revenue churn. So, so someone that's, I'm making this up, somebody that starts paying you a hundred bucks in year one, what are you expanding that to in year two is 110 bucks, 120 bucks. What? We have a 17% net negative churn. So like our, our, just by staying in the accounts, it, it goes organically. Um, and that number is growing just as, as we continue to get more and more customers with more seed expansion potential. Great. So, yeah, guys. So just to make that number real for you guys, you know, with an ACV of five grand per seat, if a company has two seats with, with, uh, with, uh, these, with Alex, you know, that'll grow to from 10 grand per year contract to call it, you said 17% year over year. So what is that? You know, 11,700. Is that about yeah. accurate? Yeah. And do you have a playbook you run for that and an inside sales team, or is that pretty natural just based off user growth and product growth? We have, we've really geared more towards logo acquisition as opposed to uh, growth. So all of that is, is pretty much, I mean, for the most part, it's organic. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So the, the 50% of your base, uh, sorry, of your employees that are not engineering, what are they focused on? Uh, well, so we have we we have a customer success team uh, who's great, and they're they're just focused on like adoption, etc., uh, making sure like rolling out the customers that sort of thing. Um, and then we have a sales team and a BDR team, and then we have a, a, a great demand gen team. Okay. So and they're they're about even like across all three of those, and yeah. And as your customer success team like looks to make sure people are onboarded properly and extends extends lifetime value, like right now, obviously this is very much art versus a science. What do you project or in your performance? What do you have lifetime value being? Oh, um, so it, because our average deal size grows, it has, has actually been growing pretty drastically, like quarter over quarter. Um, I, yeah, I don't want to make up the number right away, but it's it's in the six figures per customer. Okay. I was Well, that's actually what I was more interested in is how, what you measure it by. So you measure it per business instead of per user. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. Do you find that difficult to get to that number though? Because I imagine you, like you said, the example, you have some people that have one user, then that might be a much, much lower LTV, but you have another customer with like a hundred users. It's a much more like way significantly higher LTV. How do you, because, and the reason that's important is because then you back into what you can spend to acquire that customer. Yeah. Um, it, for whatever reason, I mean, and, and part of it has to do just with the way that we go after our market. Um, we, uh, it, it's pretty normalized to where our, like our average deal size stays pretty consistent oh, okay. for, for, yeah, across the, the, the customers that we acquire. What, what is it on average? Like two, like four or five seats per customer or like something different? Uh, no, it's, it's like closer to 10 seats per customer. Okay. I got it. And it stays. So the examples you gave earlier in interview, those were kind of, kind of extra outsider points. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Just to give you like the range of. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, um, again, with the money you've raised, obviously you said a lot of it went to the team. Uh, I imagine you put a lot towards paid acquisition, maybe not a lot, but some towards paid acquisition. What do you, what's it costing you to acquire a customer? Um, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell you like our, our off the, the, uh, shelf CAC thing, but like our, our, it's right around three for our, CAC to LTV ratio. Okay. And do you, um, the CAC to LTV ratio is obviously important, but sometimes people will tell me our, our CAC to LTV is healthy. It's three. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your payback period? And they say it takes us three years to recover, which like doesn't help because that's too long. So what is your payback period that you're optimizing for? Um, we try to keep it right around 15, 15, 15 months. months. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So if you have an average deal size in the six figures, you could say, you know, maybe, you know, payback, you know, you're spending called 150 grand, right? Which you get back in the first 15 months. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, generally doesn't, yeah, 
I mean, the, we, like we, a lot of things go into that model um, between like customer success and, and sales team and marketing costs and things like that. Um, to, so just to, across our, uh, yeah, anyway. Your CAC, what you're saying is your CAC to LTV ratio, the CAC you're articulating is fully weighted. It includes all of your BDR salaries, any paid spend, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we, when, to your point, like when we talk about payback period, we try to include everything. That's smart. Yeah. yeah, smart. So it's always worst case. What? And then give me a sense. I mean, what are you spending per month just on paid? Like fifty grand, ten grand, a hundred grand per month? Um, it's probably close to. Well, good question. Um, <laughs> it, 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 we've been experimenting with it quite a bit uh, back and forth, and it depends if you like. We will buy white papers, and then we'll like buy LinkedIn ads against it, that kind of thing. Um, but. It, I mean, just like maybe ballpark 40 grand a month. Okay. And do you do uh, this is a white paper? One was a good example. Where else do you like to spend it? Where have you tested? Uh, well, so we, we do a lot of, I mean, just in terms of demand gen, I mean, we, um, a lot of it goes towards LinkedIn. We do some, we do some like very little on Facebook. Uh, we do some actually, uh, like, a, you know, a good amount of Google, um, and then uh, we do a lot of trade shows as well, actually. I mean, a lot, like a lot of our, our uh, paid acquisition and things like that still go through pretty traditional channels. Got it. Well, good. Hey, Alex, before we wrap up here with the easy questions, the famous five, um, take us into, like, do you have any weird above the line costs or is your gross margin in line with most SaaS companies in kind of the 85 to 90% range? Yeah. It's in that yeah, range. And then let's fast forward a few months. So it's the company holiday party at the end of 2017. You guys are celebrating like the big ARR, you know, number that you hit. What is that goal? Like what would like get you like super pumped if you hit by the end of the year? Um, so I, that number is actually confidential, but uh, we're, I, I'll, I'll just say that like we tripled last year. We're looking to triple th again this year. So, okay. I mean, I can, I mean, these are obviously very rangy numbers, right? None of this is extremely specific, but you articulated earlier, you've got about 90 businesses and about over 3000 users across those businesses that pay on average five grand per year or four, you know, 417 per month. So, I mean, if you take 3000 seats times 417 bucks, you get over 1.2 two million bucks in MRR. You guys are above that, correct? Yeah. Got it. So if you're, if you're looking to triple, I mean, do you, do you think you'll get up to like 3 million in MRR by December and December, 2017? Uh, in MRR? Yeah. Or, uh, it, it won't be 3 million in MRR. But your goal is three X in over 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And you're on track to do that so far. We're halfway through the year. We are. Awesome. Good stuff. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I wanna tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big, smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal and I wanna show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com. 
click the red button that says install this on Gmail. And when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report. And you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use. www.thetopinbox.com. Alex is, I'm going to stop pushing because I can see Alex is swiveling in his chair a little bit. So we'll wrap up with the easy questions, the famous five. Number one, Alex, what's your favorite business book? Uh, I, I'll go with um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, always following Benny. Good one. Uh, if he wrote you a check today for $90 million, do you sell? No. I'm just reading your eyes here, seeing what you're actually saying. <laughs> just kidding. All right, no, number three, Alex. Besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? Uh, sorry, besides what? Besides your own, like, or, or what's like oh. an online tool that you use a lot to manage the business? Oh, Salesforce, hands down. Uh, we live in Salesforce. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, six to eight, I, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? Uh, married, have uh, one boy who okay. is 10 weeks old. 10 so, weeks? Yeah. Holy mackerel. And you're getting seven hours of sleep? Yeah. Damn, that's impressive. Okay, and how old are you? <laughs> huh? I, my wife is great. That's awesome. How, uh, and how old are you? I'm 31. All right, Alex, last question here. Take us back 11 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, take big risks. Um, yeah. There you guys have it from Alex, again, founder of Scout RFP, had big success selling his first company to linked, or sorry, to a living social in the tens of millions of dollars, then took a few of those co-founders, relaunched, uh, or sorry, launched a new product called Scout RFP, uh, doing well. They're up to 50 people launched back in 2013. They've raised $27 million, again, to make the RFP process more streamlined. That's kind of their core product. They have many other things they do. They're currently serving 90 businesses, about 3,000 users across those businesses that pay, you know, around five grand per year uh, for access to their tool set. Again, growing super fast based mainly in San Francisco with 17% year over year revenue growth kind of per account. Alex, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. If you enjoyed Alex today, go back and listen to Bruce yesterday. With $50,000 a monthly recurring revenue, he's building the crypto database to track accuracy and keep folks honest.